0: your host here and yeah we're broadcasting from des moines iowa the cultural and culinary crossroads of america quick shout out to our local business partners or at least some of them here in the des moines metro uh, gateway marketing cafe that's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast lunch and supper although these days of course you order takeout and they have a they do a great job with the takeout folks that's gateway marketing cafe located on 20th and woodland thanks also to noche jazz and cabaret again no live concerts But Noche is the premier location for jazz and Cabaret in the Des Moines metro, and they are still doing live stream concerts every Wednesday and Saturday. That's Noche. All right, welcome to the program today, folks. And uh, later in the program, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman joining us. We're going to talk about how much Americans love conspiracy theories and how right-wing speculation about the real cause of COVID-19 is no exception. We're also going to talk about how uh, some corporatists are inclined to use this, uh, this COVID crisis for their own benefit, including uh, renewed interest in privatizing the U.S. Postal Service. And later in the program, Kathy Burns is going to join us, and we'll talk about um, food waste and how that's being affected by the coronavirus crisis. But first, I want to welcome to the program uh, Mark Clipsham. Mark is an architect, a planner, and a builder. He lives near Ames, and he is an out-of-the-box thinker. And I like out-of-the-box thinkers because you know what, folks? There's a lot more room outside the box than inside the box. Mm. Mark, welcome to the program.
1: How are you doing, Ed? Good. Uh, So, hey, uh,
0: one thing we were talking about recently was um, how when it it comes to economics, uh, you know, we've got this GDP-based system, and um, it apparently isn't working real well. (laughs) Uh, You know, when we get done with the coronavirus crisis and return to, quote, normal, we're going to find the normal is going to get us in really deep trouble with climate change and on a number of other fronts, too, if we don't figure out another way of dealing with how we measure vitality in our economy, in our society. And I think I've heard you say that we need a seven-generations ideology instead of the model that's focused on constant growth and endlessly bigger profit margins. That's pretty radical, Mark. Uh,
1: well, I've, there's, it's kind of weird... People say, oh, the the guy came from a stable home. You know, I was like, that's good. Well, we don't live in stability. We live in volatility. And it's very, very hard to plan when you don't know what's going to happen next week. We're watching this happen with COVID, which to me is a preview of climate
0: change. How so? Uh, how, is, how, is, how is COVID a climate change preview?
1: Well, we we don't know what's going to happen. And we, it's a product of volatility it's it's an unknown thing Uh, in this case everybody's kind of running around with their head cut off because this hasn't really happened before Uh, a real basic principle from a physics standpoint is if you add energy to a system it makes it more volatile you've got a pot of water on the stove it's sitting there minding its own business it's stable you know what's gonna be there in five minutes? You put some heat underneath it, it starts to warm up. You put some more heat up under it, it starts to roil around a little bit. You put more, it starts to boil.
0: And then you got yourself a, a good cup of tea.
1: Uh and you put a lid on it and you got an explosion and it's okay. burns. Um, by the way, that's kind of what carbon dioxide is. It's like putting a lid on our planet and holding all the heat in. Hmm. Uh
0: okay, so let me let, me let me let, let me ask you this. You know, right. with with COVID nineteen You know, you, you said earlier that we don't, you know, people didn't see this coming. Well, I I think, I mean, maybe, maybe Donald Trump didn't see it coming. Maybe a lot of folks didn't see it coming, but I think when you look at the people who are really, uh, you know, wise about infectious disease and pandemics, they saw this coming. I I was
1: speaking in a relative sense. Yeah. My spouse is an epidemiologist. She teaches medical micro uh, immunology, infectious diseases. So I'm 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 speaking generically, general population. Right. Okay. Uh, so, but once again, the basic principle: uh, if you add chaos into a family, the family falls apart. If you add energy into a system, it makes everything volatile and chaotic. It's it's really basic, basic, basic science. It's, it's, We're looking at a global phenomena of that it's, it's happening right now
0: that's the question of, of of adding energy or adding too much energy more energy than that's than that system can can manage
1: well correct so it's no longer dynamically balanced or I just looked up the term homeostasis the tendency of systems to become stable over time well they will not become stable if you keep adding energy to them uh, and our economy that's the whole idea is more and more faster and faster and the way you accomplish economic growth is via energy, resource, consumption, that sort of thing. Doesn't really take a whole lot to kind of figure out how it's going to end up. But it'd be one thing if we, if we were stable, heaven forbid, sustainable. That's the next step. Uh, stability is supposed to be a good thing, except when it comes to the economy and relative to the GDP not working, it works really good for the people who make the rules and everybody else gets and, and, to sleep in the bed that's made by it.
0: And the people who make the rules tend to be the same people who make the money.
1: Yes, and now, also produce the energy, if, as it were. <laughs>
0: now, now, you you, uh, you, you um, fashioned a term that caught my attention earlier. You—you you referred to uh, uh, techno barbarian no te- uh, what was it? Techno.
1: Techno barbarian. Techno yes, barbarianism. Yeah,
0: which um. <laughs> uh, I'd like the sound of just by itself, but I'd love to have a deeper explanation as to what exactly you mean by techno barbarianism.
1: Well, you remember back in the unenlightened days when you had a community and what was important. It was your church or your congregation, whatever type it was, your families, your neighbors, uh, it was being honest and ethical and having a conscience.
0: Oh, those horrible days.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like I said, back in the unenlightened days now, our techno barbarism i i made the comment about star wars you know oh okay i'm gonna jump shark a little bit i saw an image in the paper about two or three weeks ago and it was a robotic dog and they were using it to find whatever mushrooms bombs whatever and i go like okay
0: wait mushrooms i want one of those dogs is it can can they can they hone in on morels
1: well, but the next thing they're going to have is they're going to have a gun attached to the top of it, <laughs> oh. and it's going to be controlled by a uh, an iPad, you know, and it's going to be out there and nothing's so, going to happen. to So,
0: kind of, so kind of a ground-based dog-shaped drone.
1: <laughs> yeah, only only you know, with huge claws on it and, and endless energy. Uh, doesn't need to eat. And I'm going like, I don't. Why? Why in our society does every can have to equal do? I sure wish we had some ability to say, you know, this great council, the, the indigenous peoples making the decision of, is this in our best interest? What is, how is this going to affect center, seven generations from now? Will there be a seventh generation if we start to do this? Back no, to the no, Star yeah. Wars, I'm sorry, there was a planet. You know, the entire planet was covered with a city. I don't think that would be very healthy, and I don't think the people on it would be very happy. So that's techno-barbarism, you know, it's like you have it, I want it, I'm going to take it. That's the antithesis of an ethical, moral society.
0: Well, and, and if you look at the uh, the direction that our growth our growth model takes us is to an entire planet of planet Earth covered by, yeah, by development. Yeah. I mean, you, I've had this, uh, and you're, you're a planner, I've had this conversation when I was a lawmaker, when I was working on uh, a more intelligent growth planning at the state level, I, I can't tell you how many city planners, city administrators, uh, city council members would say to me, well, if you don't keep growing, you die. And I'm thinking, you know, that's um, that's really the mentality of a cancer cell. Uh, you
1: know. <laughs> well, and it's a race to the bottom, too. It's, it's the low-hanging fruit. I'm watching a site here in uh, West Ames, and it was, had all kinds of trees and there is a marsh, and boy, the, you know, I can tell it's going to be developed because the first thing that happens is every single living thing on the site is eliminated. I mean, just scraped to nothing. Right. They want a blank piece of paper just like they're back in the office with a pencil and a piece of paper. Well, let's first, let's wipe everything out, and now we'll start. We'll play God and start from zero.
0: So let's, uh, let's, uh, let's assume that at some point we navigate our way through the coronavirus crisis, which I think we will do. Uh, there will be triage, lots of, um, you know, lot, lots of lost lives, lots of uh, economic damage, um, lots of uh, emotional trauma. We'll get through it, and then what happens? Hey, we this? I'm sorry. We arrive at the um, moment when we have to deal with the fact that the economic system we have is not sustainable.
1: You know it was weird, Ed? was yesterday, Easter. <clears> it's not weird in itself, but Easter is the time of rebirth. I thought the timing was really interesting. Wow, what if we got this brilliant idea of let's not go down this road anymore. (laughs) Hey, hey, I've been spending time with my family. I've been baking and cooking. Uh, That's part of the adding energy to the system thing is. Oh, but yeah, so one part of our society is spending all its energy making us sick. You know, the fast food because we don't have time to cook at home. Uh, The daycare, because we can't watch our own kids. Uh, The the labor-saving devices, blah, 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 blah. And the other half, not the other half, but another good part of society is making a whole bunch of money off the sick people. I don't know. Not really, once again, like the world covered with buildings and cities, not really where I want to end up, and the logical outcome is pretty obvious. So where do we draw the line? Where do we say, no, this is not healthy, this is not happy, why are we doing
0: this so, why, so what are
1: we trying to accomplish
0: so again when you said you don't want to end up in star wars you, you were referring to that city in in the in a star wars um uh, uh, one of the one of the i don't know which one it was one of the star wars uh, yeah films i can't remember
1: the name of the where either, the but, entire yeah.
0: planet is covered by a, by a city well I, and i was worried i don't I don't want to end up in a star in star wars where i have to learn how to use a lightsaber that that, that <laughs> well, would just, that, I, would, I, I, that would get way, ugly
1: very interesting uh The secondary point, too, is we're watching COVID-19 disrupt. You know, it's inconvenient to shop. What happens when the supply line is cut? There's really only seven or eight major arteries going to California, Mexico, whatever. That supply line gets cut. It's not a matter of inconvenient shopping in the store. It's there's nothing in the store. And what do we grow in Iowa? Corn, soybeans, cattle, pigs, chickens. chickens, you know, it's like, well, how long is that going to last, you know, before everybody shoots each other?
0: <clears throat> well, uh, well, right, now, again, the, the corn is, uh, what, 40% of our corn goes to ethanol, goes to feed yeah. cars, and uh, right now, the, one of the big challenges in food production, we'll talk a little bit about this later in the program, too, is uh, is that workers are getting sick, and uh, that's disrupting the production quite a bit. You've had meat packing plants, and, and, and the, the largest pork uh, slaughterhouse in the country up uh, by Sioux Falls, South Dakota is closed. And that has ramifications for the entire, uh, you know, supply chain leading up to that point, you know, and, and really, isn't this an argument, um, in favor of, 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 of more of localizing all the various dimensions of our survival structure. And, and Let's again, take
1: it, can we take it one more step,
0: please take if, another step if, if you do
1: more of the work yourself it's really easy to turn on a tap you know and it's really easy to turn on a light switch and it's really easy to go to the grocery store you don't throw away food after you've grown it yourself you don't waste water when you've carried a bucket of water inside you don't waste heat when you split your own wood okay it's so easy everything is here all the time we don't even see where it comes from there's no there's no connection to the source you know and so it's, it's Easy. You're talking about food waste. I will say my brother has a hobby. He dumpster dives at a store in Kansas City, which I will not mention because I don't know where it want. He, I'm a vegan, whatever. You go there, they've got filet mignon, bacon wrapped filet mignon. They've got shrimp, uh, seven rib roast, whatever. It's all thrown out. It's still frozen, it's a month before its expiration date. New stuff is coming in. Got to make room. Throw it in the dumpster.
0: Mm, and, wow, I, really? and I go, there's a yeah. food scare, so I'm Like what? Yeah, we're we're actually going to talk about that specifically later in the program too. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just um, it's 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 a it's a big challenge. Mark, do you think we can pull together the political and collective will to move our economy in a different direction where we aren't measuring well-being by Again, GDP, which also says, hey, if we get more people sick, that's good for the GDP. Um, divorce attorneys, that's good. Uh, all this stuff that's really not good makes our a economy little, look better. Do you think we can move beyond that?
1: A little perspective. You know, like I said, a big portion of our society is busy making people sick. They don't have time to eat, right or exercise or anything like that. those people get heart attacks. Hmm. Some of them die some of them get a scooter and oxygen tanks and a couple of them a couple of them ed actually changed their lifestyles because we have been programmed so heavily for so long that inconvenience of any type is not acceptable i do my own work i split my own wood i have a garden you do too it feels fantastic to work hard we need challenging work mentally and physically and it's all taken away. We have yeah. specialists. Specialists well, Mark, are, are wonderful. They're, they're so easy to take advantage of. They don't <laughs> Mark, know everything. That's, that that's one uh, thing i know.
0: That's good stuff, Mark. I appreciate you. Uh, yeah, and you, you make me want to get this show wrapped up so I can uh, go out and uh, and uh, and plant some uh, plant some crops. Uh, this is the time of year, isn't it? So hey, I, um, I, I got to wrap up the program, but again, I okay, want to thank you sure. for joining us. I really uh, really appreciate the conversation, folks. We've been talking with uh, Mark Klipsham. He's an architect, a planner and a builder who lives near Ames and thinks independently. And that is something we need a lot more of in today's world. Mark, thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Ed. Uh, keep up the good work.
0: When we come back, folks, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman's going to join us. We're going to talk about conspiracy theories and how that uh, uh, how America's love for conspiracy theories has entered into the conversation about the coronavirus crisis. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Galey Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries.
2: Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
0: Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas-Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the sculpture park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Farm. Thanks to our, our local business partners here in the Des Moines Metro that helped make this program possible, thanks to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa producers. You can still order Hawk takeout. We did for Easter Sunday and it was fantastic. That's Hawk Restaurant, HOQ restaurant. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding continues to practice uh, her, uh, her art, um, large critters, small critters, you name it, she does it all. She's got 30 years of experience under her belt at Story County Veterinary Clinic and Dr. Kim Holding. All right, so later in the program, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the one, one plan that the corporatists have to um, extract more wealth, complements of the, uh, the coronavirus crisis. We'll also talk about food waste in America and some things that might be, we might be able to do about that. But first, I want to welcome uh, Dr. Charles Goldman to the program. Uh, like most Americans, Charles loves conspiracy theories, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and the uh, right-wing speculation about the real cause of the COVID-19 crisis um, has not disappointed.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think there's you know two elements of of the conspiracy the conspiracies that are fomenting around the pandemic. Um, you know, one is that uh, China, of course, uh, is involved in this in a way that, uh, you know, wasn't just that somebody ate a bat who was infected with this mutant virus. Um, you know, we'll talk about that in a minute. And the other is, is that actually this is a, a plan to, uh, depending, you know, take your pick, uh, in, to uh, invoke medical martial law in the United States. To force vaccinate everybody in the United States, to enrich Bill Gates, to um, depopulate the Earth of those who are a drain on society, i.e., uh, people of color and uh, elderly. Um, so you know we can talk about that. Maybe we'll get to that. If not. We can definitely talk, talk and, about that next week. And,
0: right? and, that, and that's the short list of uh, conspiracy <laughs> theories, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what about what so, about the, uh, the the Chinese? Uh, I mean, again, again, I know the I know the theory that well it was a some China guy a, some some Chinese person ate a bat and blew, you know, and and that, that blew it all out of out of the water right there. And of course, um, I'm not sure, maybe that's why Trump decided to call it the Chinese virus. But wasn't there another few well, that- the, well he
3: he decided to call it the Chinese virus for multiple reasons, which right. is one to appeal to his anti immigrant base, um and the other of course uh, to, to you know, diffuse blame of him onto the Chinese and uh you know, and obviously paint them in in a negative light. And yeah, well,
0: with, with New York City being like the epicenter of the crisis, maybe we should call it the New York virus, right?
3: Well, by that logic, uh, <laughs> well, not exactly. I mean, I, I, you know, the the first cases clearly were, uh, in you know, in the in the Chinese city of Wuhan. Sure. Um, but the, you know, mostly this goes around to well. First of all. It it, it shows that Americans, as always, have a horrible sense of history. You know, um, most generations in in, in the United States only know the history of, you know, what may have happened in the first 20 years of their life.
0: It's almost as bad as our sense of geography, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's right. Well, the question is, how many Americans could point out Ukraine on a map with the countries not being named on the map? Although, again, why would you have a map with no country names on it? (laughs) <laughs> but um no the problem the problem first of all is that we in, in America are used to that people die incrementally um from diseases of uh excess you know i mean the biggest killers in the united states are diseases that are secondary to uh excess calories heart disease called, diabetes right diabetes well, stroke heart right? disease cancers to some degree mm-hmm. um or, you know, uh, that are related to access to guns in your house, suicide. But, um, you know, this, this is why the medical system is not set up for a pandemic, because the history of the world is is that infectious disease, not even close, not even combining all the world wars and, and subsequent, you know, uh, conflicts. Um, infectious disease has killed more humans who have ever lived on earth any other entity? Well, the Spanish and, flu, the
0: Spanish flu in 1918 killed more people than were killed in World War One.
3: That's correct. But we're getting off the off
0: the point a little bit here. The,
3: again, back to consp- well, no, 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 no. I, uh, we're not really, because okay. the reason conspiracy the reason conspiracy theories work is because you don't have an understanding of where to place this pandemic. This pandemic is just another pandemic in a series of pandemics. So, you know, we, so we half can't of the, the world's the, population that ever lived was killed by protozoan diseases, i.e. malaria, or mosquito-borne diseases, I'm sorry. So, you know, there's been other pandemics. I mean, obviously, H1N1 was, was to some degree a pandemic. You know, polio in the 1950s. Everyone was going back to the pandemic, you know, the flu pandemic in 1918. But the point is that there, if you understand history, you could look at this brilliantly and say, okay, it's a virus, The most, and, and it's one of the two classes of viruses most likely to cause a pandemic. The two classes of viruses that have been named by multiple, you know, you know, wargaming of of pandemics are either influenza viruses or coronaviruses. So this is not that unexpected.
0: Okay. Again, so we have we we we, we really shouldn't be that surprised. And That's those correct. those in the know, infectious disease physicians, others with deep medical experience, have been telling us that. So why do you how do you how can you explain a U.S. senator Tom Cotton saying that this was caused by uh, this was intentionally designed at a bio weapons factory in China for the intent purpose of disrupting um, life across the world. How do you respond to that despite the fact that we have this history that pandemics and these kind of viral
3: incidences are not that unusual well the thing is that you can't you can't totally discount it, but you know there there was really you know, good article in I think it was in, in oh in Vanity Fair talking about this, talking to various health security virologists, epidemiologists, et cetera. I mean, the the whole theory is based on that, like less than a mile from the market, this wet market where we think the virus was was you know passed. There's a uh, purportedly level four, which is a high level uh, virology lab or pathogen lab, and you know, initially Cotton's statement made it seem like it was intentionally released, but then he kind of changed it. And Cotton is a really well-educated man, and yet, you know, he he was kind of you know hawking this Fox News conspiracy that you know had showed up on. The usual sites that talk to each other—you know—shows it shows up on one alt-right site, and then they quote it on another, and they tweet it to the president. And so it, it's a circular kind of thing where right, one right. person puts it out there, and it gets disseminated to all of these similar sites. But so what you're so, saying, though, what
0: you're saying is that Cotton did not uh, pull this out of the air. There's no, 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 no. There's he, some and, logic and, to his premise.
3: Well, that's correct, and and there there were there were also people like David Ignatius in the Washington Post. Who said that we can't totally discount the possibility that this is something that that you know erroneously got out of this lab? Now, it, interestingly, the question would be: most of the people who are infected with this virus don't seem to have any kind of symptoms, so or they have symptoms that look like just another coronavirus. So the question would be why would they have identified this as a a pathogen as a virus of particular interest in a lab that was looking for a bioweapon i mean it's it's not a particularly good bioweapon because its mortality is actually relative to other bioweapons extremely low right so it it, it makes a poor weapon it would have been hard to really understand that it even was all that pathogenic, since so many of the, as I say, the people who become infected with this may pass it on, but they themselves don't get particularly sick. You know, so it, it, while it, it, it begs the logic of why they would have been working on this virus specifically, because it doesn't have the characteristics of something that would have made it that interesting, you know, and, and one, Right. Yeah. And as one of the public health people uh, from Harvard said that, you know, if you could have a situation where if the if let's say that instead of the wet market in in Wuhan, it was Faneuil Hall in Boston, you know, and down the street from Faneuil Hall is a the nationally emerging infectious disease lab. And also
0: also the Blackstone Market, which is Which the is a market? lot, yeah. The Blackstone Market, which is a lot like some of the uh, more um, raw markets you'll find in in other countries,
3: right? Except they don't generally sell bats there. To they
0: don't sell bats there, but they sell everything. I mean, it's just it's a crazy place,
3: right? Yeah. I mean, the point is is that you could you could find proximity of a lab that could have allowed this kind right. of virus to get out, um, you know, pretty much in any big city in most sure. countries. So. It, 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 it's the nature of the conspiracy theories that they find these coincidences. But they're starting from a premise which is incorrect, which, first of all, the, there have been multiple articles that look at the sequencing of this virus that say it is highly unlikely. It, no scientist is ever going to say impossible. But that it is highly unlikely that any of this virus is engineered.
0: So what about some of and the that, other conspiracy theories?
3: Well, the other conspiracy theories are more political, um, and and don't the the, the, note, the fact that this you know laboratory was nearby this Wuhan market doesn't matter to them. I mean, these are the people who, um, as I said, I mean, if, if, if I, I know in, in the blog you sent out, you talked about this one this one website which um, I actually went to and watched about 45 minutes uh, of an hour uh, green, presentation. Green, green Med Info? Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, this, these sites are kind of like the Russian bots. I mean, because their theory is, and, and the problem is that, as I said, they blame a lot of different people. So um, it's George Soros, of course, always. The Rockefeller Institute, which they claim based on, on information that is out there on the Internet, is interested in depopulating the Earth and kind of club of Rome, trying to get back to a manageable level of just a couple of billion people. But once again, why would you pick this virus to do it? <laughs> it? This virus isn't going to depopulate the Earth to a billion people. Right. You know, so um, they blame the reptilians, You know, who are the favorite ones, the, the shadow alien government, um, uh, the Rothschilds, You know let's go back to World War one the elders of Zion again you know another anti-semitic screed but basically these are saying that there is there is information out there for instance one of their favorite bits of information is that there was event 201 okay you'll see this a lot on on the internet and this was a meeting back in October 2019 between the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, the World Economic Forum, and the Gates Foundation. Because the the Gates Foundation is also involved in many of these conspiracies because uh, they are pushing mass vaccination against coronavirus and other things. And supposedly, you know, Bill Gates has, like, massive investments in seven different vaccine companies and that this is all about him making money. I mean, this is somebody who's the richest person in the world. Does he really need to make more money? Um, But nevertheless, so event 201... Which, by the way, was a completely public forum, um, basically war-gamed or pandemic-gamed, something that's very similar to what eventually happened: a virus, a coronavirus, coming out of China, which was handled in China much more quickly um, and much more in a much more draconian fashion. But the democratic countries, especially the United States, didn't respond, so it becomes, you know, kind of. A worldwide phenomenon, and basically, it has many elements similar to what has occurred with the coronavirus. Right, and so you've got uh, you know a lot of people out there saying that the real goal here is to create martial law and authoritarian governments around the world under the guise of dealing with this pandemic. Right, and
0: regardless of whether you subscribe to any conspiracy theory, uh, that is a very possible a very real possible outcome
3: well we already we already know that the the question of how to reopen the economy has raised different theories of how to do it but many of them revolve around what could be seen as very intrusive of people's privacy you know because if you're going to geolocate people to try to do you know contact tracking um, and if you're going to have to have some kind of certificate saying you're even proof, you've are proven to be right, that, antibody that, positive. That,
0: doesn't Bill Gates recommend that?
3: Correct. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, if you think about it epidemiologically, it makes sense. I mean, you know, the, we still don't really have a good handle on this disease, on how it passes. I mean, there's arguments about whether it's droplet, whether it's airborne, how much is, is based on contact, the surfaces. You know, so we don't know enough. To be able to say what the best way to go is, and and even the uh, ideas that are put out there by what are generally considered more nonpartisan or more left-leaning organizations, you know, are going to be fairly intrusive for some period of time. Um, and so it, it it's not a it's not a far leap to look at this and say, well, maybe there's some truth to that, you know. And but they kind of cover the bases. They kind of say, well. Um, maybe it was that this virus was engineered to do this or maybe this just happened and because they'd already been talking about it the, the structures are already out there to to induce these authoritarian solutions but you know on the other hand most people give away more privacy every day on their smartphone than they're talking about yeah i mean
0: most well, people that's a problem you know too.
3: their locators are on all the time yeah so it, it again it it it's putting it together in a more sort of Machiavellian, seemingly evil way, but the reality is, is, Americans gave up their privacy the first time they turned on a smartphone.
0: Yeah, well, as we now know. Yeah, yeah. We can talk a lot more about that, Charles, and I. And I do think uh, it's a conversation we'll want to revisit as this thing continues to evolve. I got to take a short break. Um, when we come back, I believe you'll be able to stick with us. Yeah, and yep. we'll talk about uh, one <laughs> one opportunity for uh, the corporate interests of America. Again, using the COVID-19 crisis as a springboard uh, involves the US Postal Service. We'll talk about that when we come back from a short break here on the Fallon Forum. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining.
4: Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant... Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
0: Welcome back to the Talent Farm. Thanks to the uh, nonprofits that help make this program possible. Thanks to uh, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, learn how to turn your yard into dinner. That's BirdsBeesUrbanFarm.org. And thanks to Bold Iowa, fighting climate change and pushing for non-industrial renewable energy resources. That's BoldIowa.com. All right, welcome back to the uh, Fallon Forum Again, Dr. Charles Goldman with us here. You know, we've seen various interests, a lot of them corporate interests, powerful interests, try to take advantage of the COVID-19 crisis. And sometimes it's not a powerful interest. Sometimes it's some guy who thinks, hey, I'm going to buy up all the hand sanitizer and charge a crazy markup. He got caught. But anyway, there is <laughs> there's a renewed push to uh, privatize the U.S. Postal Service. And Charles, I don't know about you, but I think that would be not in the best interest of the American people.
3: Well, I think the American people would agree with that because, in fact, the Postal Service has uh, the highest approval rating of any uh, semi-government entity. I think people still think it, it is, in fact, a government entity, but it's a freestanding uh, public sector entity, which is self-funded. Um, and it has about 90% approval rating. Well, That's, 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 think-
0: a, that's like the flip side of Congress.
3: <laughs> exactly um I, you know i think the other thing that you have to ask because just to get slightly off topic here and i'll go right back to this is that this is just one as we talked about last week of many things that are going on while all you're hearing about incessantly on the news is what's going on with covid you know which i'm not saying it shouldn't be the lead story on the news but it should be there's more going on here for instance um do you have any idea why in the $2 trillion legislation that was supposed to you know, help out small businesses and the, you know, the, the lower income American taxpayer, why there was a change in the ability of wealthy real estate developers to be able to avoid $170 billion in taxes by being able to use more of their depreciation. This is a, rhetor- the- this is a rhetorical question? No, this is an actual question. This was actually in this bill.
0: Well, because they could. If, they, if, the, if, the, if the filthy rich can get away with something, they'll do it.
3: Exactly. So this is, okay. this is your government at work. Because in the midst of a pandemic, we have to save real estate developers who are contributing nothing to this culture. $170 billion by allowing them to, pre- to depreciate buildings, right? To make them seem as though they're worth less, even though, of course, they're worth more. Because of the craziness of the real estate market in the United States. So, yeah, this is, this is what they were busy doing meanwhile the democrats of course want to assure your right to vote by allowing mail-in ballots so that people don't need to go out and get sick to vote and then the democrats aren't going to get that done by attaching it to any bill that's going to fund anything for relief because the Republicans will say, see, the Democrats are just obstructions, right, else. Right, But the right. Democrats have no ability, of course, to say to the American people, well, Donald Trump and Jared Kushner just gave themselves another tax break.
0: Okay, so do the U.S. Postal Service. Well, U.S. Postal I, Service, I, I you. I, you know, I, I, see, I see the discussion about privatizing the U.S. Postal Service, and I think, oh, Jeff Bezos just got richer, UPS. Well, no,
3: no yeah, I, I know you put that in the blog, but actually that's not entirely true. Jeff Bezos has a very good deal with the U.S. Postal Service for transporting product from Amazon. So it it is not clearly in Bezos' interest. But UPS and FedEx? uh, Clearly UPS and FedEx and other, you know, uh, uh, mail and package-type companies would benefit privatization. Now, the people who would lose from privatization, of course, are rural delivery areas because people may not remember this, but there was a long time when UPS would not go out beyond the suburbs of most towns, of most cities, to the rural areas to deliver packages. Uh-huh. Okay. Or, or if they did, the prices were exorbitant for doing so, and there were weight limitations of like 50 pounds to do it. So the point would be that the, that if post offices disappear in the rural area, and you're gonna rely on FedEx and, U, and UPS, it's gonna be super expensive for them to service you out there. Um, so uh, other, also,
0: other, other than UPS and FedEx, and is there a constituency that wants to see the Postal Service eliminated?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, this is, this is just another one of the Republican wet dreams because they, they believe they hate anything that, that works in government because it underlies their basic thesis, or belies their basic thesis, that only private industry can make things work. Because as you can see, the private industry really worked well here in the pandemic. Yeah, Um, it's done a great
0: job with Medicaid here in Iowa as well.
3: Yeah, exactly. So that's one is 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 that group. The second thing that they hate about the Postal Service is it is far and away the biggest unionized entity in the country. Right. So and a fairly
0: progressive union as well.
3: Correct. So this is this is about taking on. This is about core principles, if we can call them that, of the Republican thesis. And, you know, we all understand what happened. The the business model of the post office is, in some sense, archaic because there is less mail to handle. And, in fact, by making the deal with Amazon, it made them more viable. Hmm. I mean, the the amount of mail that that is delivered, paper mail that's delivered, has been cut in half over the last 15 years.
1: Right.
3: You know, but Americans like that. Now, they also tried to do things like, maybe have the post offices do banking out in the rural areas you can imagine what happened to that idea right because there were other interests that were uninterested in that happening um but the biggest issue with the post office has been that night in 2006 an outgoing lame duck republican congress decided that they were going to really push the privatization of the post office by telling the post office that they had to take off the top the proceeds to fund a medical fund that would cover all the retirees into the future indefinitely. Right. I remember that. Yep. Right. There is no other company in this in in this country that has that responsibility. You
0: remind me, if, if you remember, how do they possibly justify that? What was their explanation for for doing that?
3: Um, I do not remember actually. I don't remember. It Had, what it had, be a, it had to
0: be quite a stretch of
3: logic. Yeah. It, well, it is. But the the interesting thing is that it kind of worked against it because it became it very obvious to people that it was a setup for failure and that 80% of the deficit of the post office is related to having to fund this, this, um, right, this retiree. Fund, yeah. So how does, the, how does
0: the coronavirus crisis give renewed uh, impetus to the privatization movement?
3: Because, because now that mail is, volume is dropping even more precipitously, Um, basically the post office has said that by September they would need, uh, a direct infusion of cash, uh, from the government, either as a combination of grants or, and loans to be able to continue postal service unless the economy just simply completely opened up back to where it was, then they would need less money, but they still probably would need some money to bridge this. But
0: is is, 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 is that a factor of the coronavirus or is it just a factor of more and more people doing less and less with mail? using email and other other electronic sources to communicate.
3: Oh, no, no, it's definitely a factor of, of the coronavirus and, and the shutting down of the economy.
0: Okay.
1: You know,
3: so, there, you know, there's a lot less junk mail and stuff like that that does still pay the bills. And um, so it, it, is, it is totally a function of the coronavirus uh, effect. And so the question would be, you know, what comes September, you know, what's going to happen? Now, I mean, the Democrats obviously want to fund it, and the Republicans are not not necessarily, you know, down with that idea. So in it say, remains. In in say, what's going to happen.
0: Is it largely because you've got a unionized workforce and Republicans just don't like unions?
3: Yeah. I mean it's it's largely because they don't like something just what I said. They don't like the yeah. government working okay. and they don't like unions.
0: And they also have an opportunity. I mean I'm I'm imagining that there are key Republicans who have good friends in UPS, in FedEx and
3: well, those, no. I mean, they the, may. They, you know, these are huge contributors. UPS yeah. and FedEx are huge contributors to predominantly the Republican Party for this very reason. And they would. Because, uh,
0: there, yeah. Has there been any estimate as to how much they might benefit financially if uh, the postal service was privatized?
3: Uh, that I can't answer. Hmm. Okay. You know, but it's got to be a lot of money. Thing, <laughs> the key thing would be um, that. The end result would be that Americans in general would pay more money just for the postal aspect of things, and because of the increased charges to you know to behemoths like Amazon, uh, the price of goods would go up. Because yeah, they'll they'll still have Amazon Prime and they'll say you can have it tomorrow, but it's going to cost Amazon more money to be able to make that happen, and so um, <coughs> you know that would to pass on to the consumer. So once again. Here is here's, here's an entity that has a high regard among the American people, which they feel is working to their benefit, and um, we would uh, get rid of it to make both the, the uh, ability of, to, to mail something more expensive and the goods that are being mailed more expensive. So, I mean, that's like a you – know, that's a real win-win for the corporation.
0: Yeah, and, a, lo- think, and, a, lo- yeah. and a losing prospect for the American people. And, right. I mean, and what as you, as you going to do with out
3: hundreds is... of thousands of people who work for the post office?
0: Well, and and again, for those who depend upon the reasonably affordable service that the USPS provides, and as you mentioned earlier too, this could impact rural communities even more severely.
3: Oh, it, it, absolutely, and that'd be without question. Again, rural you know, communities and, and that tend to. The vote... other great part of this oh. is that there's there's like eight hundred or nine hundred billion dollars sitting in this pension and retire refund which by the way by law they can only buy government bonds with it so they basically set it up to absolutely fail right, <laughs>
0: right? Huh.
3: so you know and, and what they're asking for is like 200 i think around 200 billion dollars so i mean they could fund this from the fund they already have on hand but they're obligated to keep the money in there because of these future pension and uh, and medical
0: yeah. costs. Yeah. Well, wow. okay. Well, that's, um, that's fascinating. Um, I, you know, do you think, let me just ask you one more question, Charles. Do you think that the Republicans who want to do this can pull it off or is it just too big of a political challenge for them to manage that?
3: I think there's too many people who work for the post office and there's enough of those people who live in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, that unless they have a surefire way of making sure that the big city populations will not be able to vote, I'm not sure the Republicans are willing to take this chance right and, and, now.
0: And is there, is, there, is there a pathway forward for the U.S. Postal Service to maintain viability uh, with all the changes that have that are happening in terms of how people communicate, and also, with the burden placed on them by this requirement uh, to, you know, to, to, uh, to put all that money into the retirement fund, is there a path forward where they're going to be able to remain solvent?
3: I mean, probably not without having to uh, increase prices to some of the bulk, you know, mail and, and increase prices to, to, you know, to Bezos and Amazon. But they would still be able to do it at a price that would be cheaper. Because, I mean, once you eliminate the post office, then it's UPS versus FedEx. That's not going to be much of a competition.
0: Right. And and eventually, I would suspect that if that happens, one of the other will buy the other. uh, One of them will buy the other. And then you'll have uh, rates that just go through the roof.
3: Well, I think even if that, even if they don't have a merger, having only two large companies doing the, product, the bulk of this will lead to. Unless you're going to regulate them as utilities, you're right. I right. think the price of things will go through the roof. That's a
0: good idea. Regulate them as utilities. Good
3: right. Idea. So you know they could they could use their trucks to move the tar sands oil from. Uh, <laughs> from oh, North that's good. Now we
0: now we don't need the pipeline after all, do we? Okay. <laughs> that's right. Hey, Charles, thanks for joining us. Oh,
3: you're welcome. Hosting we've
0: talking with Dr. Charles Goldman, and we're going to take a short break and come back. Kathy Burns is going to join us. We're going to talk about food waste in the age of Corona. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
2: It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street,
0: back to the Fallon Forum. We're going to talk about food and food waste. But first, I want to give a quick shout out to a couple of our local business partners in the Des Moines metro. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, the grocery store remains open. And the breakfast, lunch, and supper service remains viable because you can order takeout. We've done that. It's delicious and always very prompt. They have also, of course, got a catering service that's Gateway Marketing Cafe. And thanks also to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street. Yep, their fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and their all-vegetarian lunch menu is still available again through takeout. That's Ritual Cafe. So thanks for uh, sticking with us on today's uh, Fallon Forum. We uh, hope you've enjoyed the uh, previous uh, conversations about the uh, Postal Service, the coronavirus conspiracy stuff, and about the big picture need to move into uh, an economic model that's not GDP. It just ain't working anymore. And speaking of stuff that's not working anymore, food. It's really, it's, you know, you're seeing some of the, some of the imagery coming in of uh, millions of tons, literally, millions of pounds. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even sure how much, but incredible scenes of onions being tossed because there's no market for them. And I just got a letter today from a dairy farming friend. Dairy, uh, milk being dumped because there's no market for that. We know about the processing plants that have closed because too many workers are sick and they're unable to uh, process the meat. That affects the producers as well. We have a lot of food waste um, issues beyond that. And joining me with that conversation is Kathy Burns.
4: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't even know where to start. There's so much to talk about regarding food waste, uh, and again, very much exas- you know exas- exacerbated in the in the COVID crisis.
4: Well, we both saw the article recently that talked about foods being thrown out, farm produce being thrown out, and some of the um, largest part of that is the fact that a lot of restaurants are closed. If not, they're doing takeout, which is uh, less service than they usually provide. And uh, so many Americans eat out at restaurants and cafes that the, a lot of the produce that's grown in this country is for restaurants. And we saw a photo of a huge field of onions being just so many tons of them are going to be tossed, uh, so it's and with, really sad.
0: And with so many uh, so many people struggling financially, I mean, how many people are out of work? The the record number of uh, unemployment applications. And people just don't have the money for uh, any kind of discretionary spending, and that's impacting restaurants as well. And of course, impacting farmers who supply those restaurants.
4: Right. Uh, food waste isn't a new thing in the United States. We are big wasters of food. I looked on a, a website called foodprint.org. and
0: Am I going to get to take a quiz you here?
4: Take a quiz. All well, right. we already discussed some of this. We'll <laughs> see how well you remember it. Between uh, U.S. restaurants as one category, schools, hotels, and hospitals as another.
0: Schools, hotels, hospitals. That's okay. another
4: category. And households, which uh, which of those Categories is the biggest waster of food.
0: I was going to guess schools, hospitals.
4: And um, no, it's households. Yeah, that's us. Uh, yeah. Yep, yep. In our, it's the in individuals. So mm. um, households uh, in general in the U.S., according to some 2019 data, uh, waste 26 billion pounds of food a year. And that's shocking because,
0: waste. you know, we buy what we want to buy. And yet, it still goes to waste. How do you explain it, that?
4: It's hard in the U.S. We—it's not—it's uh, not always because people are too lazy to cook their own food or too negligent to check their, their refrigerators and see what they have left. We have a society where people are stretched for time. All the time. Some people work uh, full-time jobs that are more than full-time, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. Some people work two jobs, and they just don't have a lot of time to go home but, and prepare for But them.
0: wouldn't people begin to plan around that uh, that anticipated time suck that comes with work and kids and driving people everywhere? Wouldn't they begin to plan around that and maybe buy less and then have and thus waste, waste
4: less? It's really hard. I remember having kids at home. They're in school activities. Um, working full time and uh, and just just barely having time to plan mm. meals. We tried hard to plan meals, but it was really tough. And the you know it's I think it I think the point is that we just work all the time to work ourselves sick sometimes, and we don't have time to do it. So
0: I'm going to guess that because of the coronavirus crisis and more and people sheltering at home and having less money to spend at restaurants, maybe that percentage of food waste is declining.
4: That's a good. I like that idea. That's yeah. a good point.
0: Um, even even as other types of food waste are is increasing, I mean, you know, I'm used to I'm used to seeing French farmers. The French farmer is such a a, a stubborn, uh, collective activist type of uh, you know gathering. I mean, they, they, they don't just work on their own. They work together, and when they do, sometimes their protests amount to dumping huge quantities of food out of protest of uh, conditions, prices, you name it. But that's not what's happening here. This is people, farmers dumping milk, onions, um, other products, because there's nowhere nowhere to sell it.
4: Actually, milk is in the top five uh, categories of foods thrown out by households. Number one, food thrown out by households, bananas. Bananas? Number two, strawberries. What's wrong, had, with, what's wrong had, with banana had, bread? They... they pe- <laughs> Again, the the banana goes uh, dark. Yeah, and then you make banana bread. They make banana bread if they have time. I'm gonna I'm gonna weigh in on the side of the people who don't have time. Strawberries number two, milk number three, leafy vegetables number four, and meat. Strawberries are
0: second in terms of the food most likely to go bad.
4: Isn't that weird? Why is that? That's like the
0: best the best food ever invented. I know. Strawberries. Um, anyway, so
4: confusing. Milk but, but, doesn't ever I, have to go to waste. If it and, goes and sour, I, use it for baking. I'm going to
0: say, okay, I get, I, 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 I agree, Kathy, that you know, yeah, it's, um, it's people are overworked, stressed out, um, way too busy, uh, way too pulled in way too many directions. But you know, there's also some bad decisions being made here. I, I don't there think are. I don't think we can say I don't want to let people off the hook completely. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're going to buy strawberries, eat strawberries.
4: Well, also, um, 55% of leftovers at the restaurant, even when we eat out, even when we go out to eat, 55% of the leftovers don't go home with the people who bought the food originally. Mm. So there's a problem, too.
0: And, you know, another part of it, I just thought of this probability, is that more and more people shop at fewer and fewer big box stores, and so they're driving to those stores, and they're trying to maximize the capacity of that trip they got a car, they can load 9 or 10 bags of groceries, mm-hmm. and so they're trying to think ahead, and it's really hard to do that, you know, when, you, when you're buying that much food. Mm-hmm. I mean, we tend to buy food a couple, three days in advance, and it's easier to, you know, use up that box of strawberries in two or three days.
4: It would be good if we could all move to a more zero waste lifestyle. We try to do that here on Birds and Bees Urban Farm. We don't throw food away. We have chickens and we have a (laughs) compost uh, system. So all the scraps, all the food scraps, even if there's a lemon that I meant to use in, you know, for some asparagus and I didn't get to it in time, it's still going to go to a good use eventually.
0: Yeah, either to a chicken that will make a sour face or to a compost bin, which will have a very beautiful and distinct scent of lemon.
4: (laughs) Chickens don't like lemons. But you know,
0: I mean, we're actually, the chickens are probably not happy with us because we don't waste a lot from our kitchen. But again, with a compost pile and with a few birds, you can really make sure that nothing ever goes to waste.
4: Other things we don't waste, for instance, um, sticks and branches that have to come down off of trees. Uh, we, we save those, <laughs> and we use them for wood fires for to cooking. cook. Yeah. so It's amazing how, it's amazing how much, it's much you a, can cook yeah. with, uh,
0: with just a small amount of wood. You can get a lot of cooking done. Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. Um, so it, waste in the U.S. Is, has been a serious issue, and I think it's time now that we are more home and we have time to reflect for the most part. Those of us who can work from home and do work from home, um, or even if we're, we're laid off, uh, ways to minimize our waste in the U.S. Um, yeah. there- and,
0: uh, I, you know, I, I, and I do think it's, um, I, think, I think the problem of household waste is probably declining because of coronavirus. Hopefully, um, maybe some new formed habits will stick. But the, um, the, the, the problems in our industrial food system are becoming more and more obvious when you see, you know, millions of pounds of onions being thrown away, milk being dumped. Um, meat, meat. meat processing facilities unable to, uh, to you know to to handle what's coming in from the farms. Mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. got we got we got that, that's a whole problem that's going to need to be um, you know discussed in in more detail and addressed with appropriate policies. But again, one thing we like we like to say you can all do is begin to grow some of your own food.
4: It's always good to do that. Not and, everybody uh, can. I, I guess yeah, it, Not everybody can. Right, but right. Uh, those can, who can do it. If you can, go on to Facebook and find some groups. Uh, in our area, we have some vegetable growing groups that yeah. we've joined. People can help each other. Beekeeping uh, groups. Beekeeping <laughs> chickens. More and more people have urban have chickens. started chickens. We're yeah. getting more messages all the time, um, and but, uh, people we'll, are. Well,
0: we'll nobody arrived when there's an urban pig and urban goat <laughs> page on Facebook, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks for joining us, folks. Again, Kathy Burns with me here, Ed Fallon, your host. Thanks to our production team, which includes Kathy and Sherry Herdina. Thanks to our guests today. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. Check us out on Facebook. That's Fallon Forum. And, of course, on Stitcher, iTunes. You can, you can download the podcast and take us with you wherever you go. Thanks again, folks. This is Ed Fallon signing off from Des Moines, Iowa on the Fallon Forum.